Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. So life can be difficult and there'll be times in our life where just things pile up, pressure up, and build into this overwhelming situation. Y'all ever experienced that before? I was going to say, y'all been Christmas shopping yet? Yeah, this happens. Yeah, stress of everyday life, especially during the holidays, is a real thing. And then along with that, the, the normal stress, the holiday stress, we also have to deal with the traumatic and the unexpected situations that come our ways. And when we're going through these difficult times, whether it's regular stress or the traumatic event type of stuff that goes on, there's a very good chance a well-meaning Christian will come alongside of you with the greatest intentions and say, you know, God will not give you more than you can handle. And while they mean well, and while you may have meant well when you've said that, that is an utter lie. It's not true. Nowhere in scripture does it say such a thing. You need to know this morning that God will absolutely give you more than you can handle. You see, this idea that God will not give you more than you can handle, it actually speaks to our pride. It speaks to the fact that we can handle it, that we got it, that we're good enough, we're strong enough. We have the mental fortitude to, to deal with whatever comes our way. And this is not true theologically or practically. It's just not true. You see, it's our sinful nature that causes us to want to live independent from God, to say, we got this, we don't really need it, thanks for helping out, but God, we have this. But unfortunately for our pride, God does not call us to live independent from him, but God calls us to live with complete dependency upon him. And so I want you to know this morning that God will give you more than you can handle, but God will never give you more than he can handle. You see, last week we learned all about getting the gospel out. Alan did a great job. I really enjoyed listening to the sermon. He did a great job of urging us all to give, to speak, and live out the gospel Paul is going to continue to work out this idea. What we're going to talk about in chapter 10 really depends upon the very last part of verse 9. So let's quickly go over that and remember what Paul said before we launch into what we're looking at this morning. He says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27. Paul says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets a prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. 
So I run with a purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I am disciplined, excuse me, I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do it, do what it should. Otherwise, here's the part we need to sit on. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I may myself, excuse me, I myself might be what? Disqualified and we go, ugh. You see, Paul says at the beginning of this, he says, listen, you need, I need, we need a purpose in this life. We need to be disciplined in our pursuits. We shouldn't live aimlessly, just wandering around, kind of going with the flow. We need to have a purpose to live for. And Paul says, listen, my purpose, my hope is an eternal purpose, an eternal prize. He says, I'm running this race. In other words, I'm living this life for something greater than myself. It's not just about my schedule and my wants and my family. I'm living this life for something greater, for something bigger, something that'll have an eternal purpose. Paul's eyes are on eternity. And that's so important for us to realize like there's something after this life because we can get so distracted, so overwhelmed, just thinking about today, thinking about this week, thinking about the holidays. We forget that um, the sum of our life is very small compared to the eternity we're gonna live in one day. And so Paul says, listen, we can lose focus on what matters. Keep your eyes on the prize, this eternal view. And so Paul's saying, listen, he lives a gospel-driven life. The gospel drives everything he does. He's living for Jesus. And like an athlete, he wants to win the race, right? He wants to live for something greater than himself, this future goal of meeting Jesus Christ and hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant. And sounds great. It sounds amazing. It sounds like something we should all aim for. But then he says, I do this. I'm disciplined so I don't get disqualified. I say, but what do you mean? I mean, I can get disqualified for living for God. I can do something to get thrown out of the game. I mean, it's one thing to be a bench warmer. Let's see how many people are honest. How many of y'all were bench warmers at some point of your athletic career? I was a starter always. I was just helping, just making y'all feel better. I'm just, I'm just letting you know. I'm just, we know that's not true. My size, height, proportion, we know I sat on the bench. It's okay. We'll move on. All right, it's one thing to sit on the bench. It's one thing not to be a starting player. It's a completely different thing to get thrown out of the game. Say, you can't even participate. And we think, wait, 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 wait. God is love. God is gracious. He is patient. I mean, I know I'm messing up here. I know I'm doing some of these things I shouldn't do. But God, God's fine with it. I mean, boys are going to be boys. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, right? Paul says, listen, lean in. Because people in the past have taken God's grace for granted and it didn't work out so well for them. And he's gonna explain in detail the dangers of this idea of being disqualified and missing out on an abundant life in Jesus Christ. He says, instead of you experiencing this abundant life, you're gonna experience this aimless wandering, just going from the next thing to the next thing, just being stressed out, missing out on God's peace, missing out on God's joy. And that's some of our problems. We talk about joy, we talk about peace during this time, but we are stressed and miserable. 
Because we're not experiencing who Christ is. Paul says you can be disqualified, like you can be thrown out of the game. He says this, chapter 10, verse 1, he says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. All of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock and traveled with them and that rock was Christ. So Paul takes them back. Remember, these are Gentiles. They didn't grow up in Sunday school. They didn't grow up with um, the Jewish scriptures. He says, let me remind you about your spiritual heritage. Let me tell you about what happened to some people in the past. And he points to Israel, the first exodus, where the people of God were brought out of slavery. Who led them out of slavery? We know God, but who was the earthly leader? Moses, right, right. This is when Moses brought them out of Egypt. He says, think about their situation. He said, they were guided by a cloud day and and fire by night, like we are guided by the spirit today. They had like this semi-baptism when they walked through the sea and they went through, excuse me, the Red Sea and they went through the water, kind of like we are baptized into the water. He said, they ate the manna that came from heaven, just like we eat the bread that comes from Jesus celebrating the Lord's Supper. Right, They drank that spiritual water like we drink the blood of Christ in communion. He's clearly retelling the story through symbolism, saying, listen, these spiritual activities, these religious activities that you do today, please don't forget, they did very similar things back then. They did plenty of spiritual activity, just like he's saying for you today, just because you do all of the spiritual activity, just because you've been baptized, just because you've come to church, just because you take part of communion, just because you did all of that stuff doesn't mean you're A-OK, doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. He says, they did all of this stuff, right? Remember, you're like, yeah, we remember. And then verse five, he says, and yet, next slide. He says, yet God was what? Not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. In fact, Paul is understating this and that's, you know, usually does it the other way. He's understating this because only two people that came out of Egypt actually were able to go into the promised land, just Joshua and Caleb. This whole community, check this out, think this through. The whole community was redeemed from slavery. The whole community were experiencing these blessings from God. But they also experienced the discipline for their rebellion. Many of them were caught up with sin, but the big sin for the whole group was the lack of faith when it came down to what God asked them to do. And I want to pause and help us think through this because we need to remember the entire community was ultimately punished for not taking the promised land. You guys remember this? But, but think this through with me. He literally told them, literally told them to go conquer a land with giants. They weren't warriors. They were slaves for their life. They've been in slavery and all of a sudden they got to go into battle. They were fearful. How many of you would be fearful for fighting? This isn't metaphors, right? We do that a lot. Literal giants. Who'd be nervous of that? 
Just, we know who to call for the army then, just seven of y'all. Okay, the rest of y'all are good. Yeah, like, like for real, who would want to go in a battle? We're like, none of us want to go. None of us want to go fight. We don't want to go kill people. We don't want to do this. But this is what they were punished for. They were comfortable. They wanted to go back to Egypt where they at least had food. They wanted to go back and live in slavery. Just like many of us want to go back and live in the bondage of sin even though we've been redeemed, we've been brought out of it. We're like, yeah, but it was so comfortable. It felt so good, but then it didn't, but then it did. And as a church, we need to pause as a community of God's people, because right, that's what we are. We are God's people as a church. And let's think about how often we want to go back to where it was comfortable rather than moving forward to where God's calling the church. And we have to remember the promised land for Egypt, the promised land for Israel wasn't Egypt. And the promised land for the church isn't the past. We, and excuse me, I know change is scary, but it's a whole lot easier than going to battle with giants, isn't it? That whole community, and I mean, you need to think this through. They were punished for a lack of trust. They missed out on the promised land. And we too, as a community of God's people, we can miss out on the blessings of God, living for God, what he wants to do with us as a community of people because we are uncomfortable. Again, he's not gonna call us to go kill giants. And yet we still resist it. And I know change is hard. But this is the warning. This is what Paul's getting at. He's like, hey, don't take God's grace for granted. Think about what he's done in the past. Understand who you're dealing with. And as a community of God's, excuse me, a community of believers, we can't take God's grace and love for granted. It's not just about these spiritual activities. As long as I go to church, especially for Christmas to see Easter, then I'm good. He's like, no, no, no. It's way bigger than that. Because we are a community of God's people who've been baptized into Christ. We participate in the eating of the bread and drinking the cup. We are led by the Spirit. We are redeemed people like the Israelites. But he has called us to live differently, to make immature disciples, to go out to the world to be the salt and light, to tell people about the redemption found in Jesus Christ. All right, that's what Alan talked about last week. Like That's who we are. And Christ has changed some things, right? It's a little different than it was, but Paul tells us in verse six, he's like, hey, but check this out. He says, and these things happened as a what? A warning, right? Sometimes we're like, hey, that Old Testament, we don't really need it. Christ has come. We can kind of just throw that part out. Paul's like, no, no. No, no, no. Look at how God deals with his people. Look at how he interacts with his people. These things were written down as a warning to us so that, so me and you, we will not, what? crave evil. And that's heartbreaking because it's true. It's heartbreaking because we crave evil like we crave that sugar cookie with frosting. We just desire it and we think about it and we want it. But I was like, no, no, no. These warnings were written so you don't crave it, so you don't desire it, so you don't like give into it. He says, as they did. You see, the Old Testament is relevant to us, and we don't discount it just because Jesus has come. We have thousands of years to understand how he interacts, who he is, and what he does. And so this idea of craving evil, this is this idea of loving evil. They loved it. They wanted it. Paul's like, no, no. 
They wanted evil. They wanted to do these things, but they also wanted to be blessed by God and led into the promised land. And like, that's what Paul's working through because that's the struggle of me and you. We want to be blessed. How many of y'all want to be blessed by God? Hopefully it's more than seven. All right, way more people like, you know what? I'm on board with that. I'm going to be blessed by God. We want to be blessed by God, but we want to live in our sin. Paul's like, it doesn't work that way. It's not going to work that way. And so he points to their, what they did, again, to warn us. And look, we've talked about some of this stuff, but he's like, Here, here's what we don't do. We don't want to crave evil. And then he explains this evil out. He says this, verse seven. He says, don't crave evil, and this is what it looks like, or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual morality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. We're like, what? Yes, it's in the Bible. Okay. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and died from snake bites. We're like, what? I know, you need to read your Old Testament. It's in there, I promise you. And don't grumble. This is my favorite. Absolute favorite. Along with, now check this out. We're going to pause. Forget the notes for a second. Check this out. Okay. Worshiping idols, we're like, that's horrible. Sexual morality, we're like, okay, I get it. We can't do that kind of stuff. Put Christ to the test. In this list of things you shouldn't do is complaining. What if we took that as serious as we do idol worship? I know. It would be amazing. I'm just throwing it out there. He said, because, and don't grumble as some of them did, and they were destroyed by who? The angel of death. We'll let Alan come up and explain all this out in detail, okay? We'll just move on for today's purposes. But listen, don't worship. How do we get that? That's Exodus 32, what he's referring to. Don't engage in sexual morality. This whole 23,000 of them died, that's Numbers 25. You can read it in there. Don't put Christ to the test. That's Numbers 21. And this idea here, this idea is that, are we living in a life of sin and then testing God to do something about it? Like, hey, I'm gonna live this way, I'm gonna do these things. I dare you to do something, God. Like, I dare you. Like, you can't, you can't handle me. I got this. Or are we testing him, claiming to be a believer, wanting to live a life blessed by him, or we are living a life blessed by him, engaging in the sin, just like I dare you to do something. I wanna have it both ways. Are we testing his patience? And then he says, don't grumble as some of you did as we went over. That's Numbers 11, 14, and 16. Their whole experience was them complaining and grumbling. They were complaining about the food that God was giving them. They were complaining about Moses being their leader in the direction they were going. And none of it worked out for them at all. And this should catch us off guard, church. It really should to be like, hey, you know what? Grumbling is on the list of sexual morality and worship and idols. Like this is something we don't need to be a part of as a community of God's people. Because complaining, right? Complaining can distract us from the mission of God. Complaining can distract us from what God has called us to do. Now, it's one thing to have concerns, Right, Bill taught me that word, concerns. He said, you have concerns. I was like, I like that, concerns, because I usually say all sorts of crazy stuff. He said, you have concerns. I said, yeah, I have concerns. Yeah, I get that, and it's expected to have concerns, have questions, need clarity. Like, like that's great. That means you're interested. That means you're involved. 
That means you're a detailed person and I'm gonna give you plenty of planning to do. Like, I like that. But just complaining and grumbling about the church and leadership, Paul's like, what are you, what are you doing? No, just read numbers to see how that works out. It won't work out in your favor. And he says, verse 11, and these things happened. These things happened as them, to them, as an example for us. They were written down long ago to warn us who live at the end of the age. Paul's like, look, you don't have to experience the punishment of this stuff. You can just look at what someone else went through and choose not to do it. He says, this stuff isn't harmless. And this church, Corinth, who Paul's talking to, was guilty of these things. And Paul's like, listen, don't take God's love for granted. Don't take God's grace for granted. And what we learn is like the Israelites, check this out, you and me, we, our community, and individually, we can miss out on the amazing, abundant life in Jesus Christ. We can miss out on his preferred future for us because of our sinful actions. They missed out on the promised land. What was their punishment? Do you remember? They died. How long did they wander in the wilderness? They had to sit in the desert and kick dust for 40 years. And let's be honest, how many churches, how many people do we know that are aimlessly living through life, just kicking up dust, missing out on all that God is doing in this world? To which Paul says, I don't want that for you. Because salvation saves us from our sin, but also saves us for God's purposes on this earth. And he's saying, listen, don't be apathetic. He is graceful, but don't take it for granted. Then verse 12, he says, and if, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. He's like, look, and if you're one of those ones who don't think any of this applies to you, he said, be careful. Be careful because all of us are one decision away from ruining our lives. There's never a time we can live unguarded or completely self-reliant. That is the danger we all face, right? Self-reliant pulls us away from God. We live independent from him. And we say, we got it. We have it figured out. We don't need anybody. We don't need him. We don't need a community. We don't even really need church. I might show up once every couple of months. I got this figured out. He says, if you think you're standing strong and you got it, watch out. Proverbs 16, 18 says, you probably know this one. Pride goes before the what? Before a great, amazing life? Nope. Pride goes before the fall or goes before the destruction and haughtiness before the fall. And I cannot and I will not because I don't want to this morning share with you how many times I thought I had a temptation overcome. I was like, I got this. That was for the old bride. I'm a week older. I got this now. Y'all never felt like that before? I don't need anybody. I don't need to tell people myself. I got this. Y'all ever felt like that? Yeah. How'd that work out? Some of y'all are like, I still got it. Well, good. I didn't. Right? Like, I mean, it, it messed me up. Right? Because all of us, here's the truth. If no one told you before, all of us have certain things in areas of our life that we are tempted in. All of us are in danger of falling. And I can't tell you how much I want the temptation in the area of life that I struggle in. I just want it gone. I don't want to deal with it. I'm like, I'm done. Like, I, I, give me something else, Lord, please, to deal with. 
but he won't. And it won't go away. And it's still there. We all need to be self-aware of the temptations and the areas of our life that we are tempted in, that we may fall in. Not, listen, not to glorify them, not to give them more power, but we need to know in order to be guarded and to protect and to confess, we need to know, like in any battle, you need to know who the enemy is. You need to know where your weaknesses are. The same is true in life. We need to know these areas that we may fall, that we may fail. So we get people, we tell people, we have um, accountability with others. Like, here's what I got going on. Right? That's what that life transformation group's all about. To be a part of that, to confess with somebody else. We need to know this. He says, and if you don't think you got anything wrong, he said, just be careful because it's coming. Just be careful because it, it's coming. And now we come to the famous verse that we messed up at the very beginning. It says this. He says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. You're like, yeah, but you don't understand what I'm going through. Paul's like, hold on. Here's the dose of humility. They're no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. That's where they get this idea that God won't give you more than you can handle, okay? He says, he will not give you what more temptation than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So first, Paul says, listen, we're all gonna face temptations. Temptations in themselves are not sinful, Jesus was tempted. It's the reality of being human. You and me, we are going to have to deal with temptation. So expect it, be aware of it. You're like, Brian, I'm never tempted. It's because you're full of sin, right? If you're not being tempted to sin, you're just giving in to sin. When you find out, the way you find out what you're, when you stop sinning, you'll find out the thing that provokes you. But if you're in it, you're like, I'm not tempted at all. I'm just enjoying it. Like, this is where I'm at. But all of us are going to deal with it. Second, the temptations you face are no different than what other people face. And this is important to remember, especially in today's world, especially right now. In 2022, almost 2023, we can get so caught up and glorify ourselves and think we are so unique, so different, and we're the greatest victim to ever walk this earth. We think we have a valid reason to sin because of our experience. And you may have had a lot going on and you may tell me about it and I hear about it. I'm like, man, your life is tough. It's rough. I don't understand. That is so unique, your experience. But let me explain something. You are not unique in your temptations. You don't have it greater than anybody else. You are not, that's called pride, thinking I have the greatest sin of all, the greatest temptation I was like, no, everybody deals with this. You're not that special. Like we all have to work through this. So all of us struggle, all of us, they're different now, I, I get it. But all of us deal with this. But third, most importantly is this, who is faithful? Whoa, go back. God. So think about this. He will not allow the temptations more than you can stand. Who's right there in the middle of it all? God. This idea that you're off on your own, doing it on your own, isn't a thing. Like God's right there in it. So God is faithful. So not only, listen, not only does the Bible not say that God won't give you more than you can handle. It also doesn't say, hey, and when you're tempted, you're going to be on your own. You just got to figure this out. No. He's saying, hey, 
When you're going through this, God's faithful. He's gonna be right there with you to show you a way out. Sometimes we just need to what? Ask him. Ask him. But in the middle of that temptation, we're not interested in talking to God, are we? We're like, well, maybe he doesn't care. Like, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Ask him. Like, God, do you care if I do this right now? Like, what do you think? How's that gonna work out for me? God's right there. He's not leaving you alone. You're not off on your own, just independent person, just going through life. The message of the scriptures, we have a God who's right there with us in the midst of it all, waiting for you to call upon him. And so the way you and me, the way we overcome temptation is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we're not strong enough, we can't do it on our own. And the reason why so many times we fail is because we try to do it on our own, on our own. But Paul says, no, we gotta be dependent upon him. And this sin and this temptation should remind us of our desperate need for Jesus Christ. You see, your sinful perversion should lead you to prayer. Understanding how deplorable and disgusting you are should lead you to pray and say, God, I need you. I can't do this. If you're like, Brian, I don't know what you're talking about. I got this right. Go back to the pride section we just talked about. You see, because as Christians, we aren't to do it alone. We are to rest in his mercy and his grace. We do our part, right? We heard Paul talking about self-discipline, and it sounds like he's like, man, you just do this on your own. You're just strong enough, good enough. But no, he's like, hey, I do my part, but I know that God is right there with me the whole time. So I do my part, but it's not independent of him. It's with him. And we work through this together. Here's how Paul understood his difficulties in life. You know this section, 2 Corinthians. He says this. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. We're like, what? That's what he says. Nobody really knows what it is, though. To torment me. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Some of y'all are like, I've done it 33 times. I know. Paul said, after three, I just figured it's not going anywhere. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. He says this, therefore, I will boast and all the more gladly about my weaknesses so Christ's power may rest on me. Paul says, I go around telling people about my weaknesses. I share them. I explain them so people can understand how great God is. Like I just share it. And you have to love that Paul is well aware that pride and conceit is banging at his door. He's like, I know how conceited, I know how prideful I would be if it wasn't for this thorn in my flesh. He says, but God gave this to me so I would remember how desperately I need Jesus. He had this problem. Listen, he had this issue. And it's because of this struggle. Check this out. It's because of this thorn in his flesh that he continued to meet with Jesus daily, continued to commune with him, built that relationship up. So it's because of this issue that he became one of the greatest leaders the world has ever seen. And that's a fact. 2,000 years later, he's still influencing millions of people. And he had this problem. So just because you have this problem or this issue, it doesn't disqualify you. 
It just puts something, God puts something in your life to remind you of how you desperately need his grace and his power. And we look at it as a negative thing. I do, because it sure feels negative. But God uses all things for his good, for those who've been called according to his purposes. So that negative, that temptation, reminds you of how good he is. Reminds you to call upon him. And without that thing, chances are you'd be independent, just like, God, I really don't need you. I got this. So just because you were struggling, it's okay. But what we see at the end of chapter nine of Paul saying, hey, I'm disciplined, but he's like, I'm not disciplined enough to do this on my own. I discipline and I put my body in this mission. Like I do my part, but knowing that God's gonna do his part too. He says, I focus on the future and I ask Christ to help me in the daily walk because he is faithful. But the question you have to answer and the question I have to answer is this. Do we want evil more than Christ? Remember verse six? On the screen, next slide. He says, these things happen as a warning to us that we would not crave evil as they did. Do you want evil or do you want Jesus? That's a choice that nobody can make. You have to make that. Do I trust in the promises of Jesus that he's gonna bring me an abundant life, a peaceful life, a joyful life? I mean, all that is promised by following Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean easy, all right? But he's promised to give us all of this stuff. Do we trust in the promises of Jesus or do we trust in the promises of sin that this is what you need? You can't live without it. You'll feel better. You and me, we have to decide, who do we trust? Who are we living for? Because we can't live for both. And it's by keeping our eyes on the eternal prize. It's focusing on what is to come. Paul's like, that's what I do. I focus on what is to come so I can say no to this stuff around me because of the future hope I have in Jesus Christ. Like we need a vision of where we're going. We need a vision of something bigger. And Paul says, Jesus Christ is big enough. He's great enough. Keep your eyes focused on him. That will lead you through. And know in the midst of it, you can call upon him. So do you trust in him or do you trust in your sin? Because read Romans 1, he'll give you over to your sin if that's what you ask for. He'll let you have it. And so those of you who are caught up in sin and you know you were living contrary to what God has called you to, your your solution is simply, hey, repent. Turn from it, start walking with Christ because you'll never experience the type of life you desire. You never experience the abundant life in Jesus Christ if you continue to indulge in and relish in sin. And here, let me be clear. That doesn't mean you're not going to sin, but you know, I know, we know there's a difference between sinning and enjoying it and living in it, isn't there? There's a difference between just being, just living in that saying, hey, this is what I want. This is where I'm going. Because what Paul's trying to tell us is sin isn't harmless. It's like an unseen virus that enters your life and causes all sorts of chaos. But you and me, we need to continually, daily, build our relationship with Jesus Christ. Seek him, talk to him, and get our fill from him. He is our daily need. And let me be honest, I don't like that. 
It's a blow to my pride. It bothers me. You would not believe how much it bothers me that I have to be needy and clingy to God. I feel like it bothers God and he would look down upon me for not being strong enough to conquer sin and need him daily. I feel like I disappoint him for not being good enough, not being strong enough, not having enough mental fortitude. I feel like he looks down upon me and is embarrassed by me because I need him every day. I feel like he looks down upon me. But you see, I thought through this a lot and I started crying when I wrote this out. I didn't expect to tell you that, oops. But I did, I started crying when I wrote this out because the truth is, I didn't know my father growing up and evidently he didn't think I needed him in life. And so I guess I assume that God doesn't think I need, I, I don't need God. I feel like, he, like I'm bothering him. And so why would I cry out to God? My earthly father didn't want me, so I just feel like I'm bothering God. And I, don't wanna, I don't wanna do too much to bother him. I don't wanna annoy him. I don't want him going anywhere. See, we all have our stuff. But thankfully, thankfully, I think through that I could not imagine not being there with my kids. And I'm reminded of how much I love mine and how much greater God is than me and how he is the good, good father who will never abandon us. Man, I am loved by him. You are loved by him. A perfect love without any imperfections. He's a father who won't ever abandon us and will come to us in our time of need. He wants to be a part of our lives. He wants to spend time with us. He wants us to know him and he gives himself to us. We are never bothering God by coming to him and asking him to be a part of our lives because he is the one who initiated the relationship with the death of Jesus Christ. And he calls you and he calls me, he says, come on. Come rest in my grace. You don't have to walk this alone enough. You weren't designed enough. You weren't designed to be strong enough, big enough, powerful enough, smart enough. Like I didn't create you for that. I created you to love me and be with me and depend upon me daily. That's what he wants from you and from me, to rest upon him. You see, God will never give you more than you can handle I mean, excuse me, God will give you more than you can handle, but he won't give you more than he can handle. And he is our good, good father and no amount of religious activity can replace you having a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And have you made that decision today? Are you ready to give your life to him? Or maybe recommit to him? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today by confessing you are our greatest need. Father, we desperately need you to invade our lives. Father, forgive us for our sin. Cleanse us from our unrighteousness and save us from the penalty we deserve. We are so thankful that you are our God and all we have to do is simply confess, repent, and believe in Jesus Christ and you will save us from our sin. Father, help us overcome the temptations in our lives. Help us hear your voice guiding us in the midst of that saying no, showing us the way out of those situations. Father, we want to pass the test. We want to pass that and move on to something different because we know you are our good, good father who loves us. 
who wants us to call upon you in our time of need. Father, our time of need is now. We need you. Help us overcome our shame and our guilt through the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the power of your spirit. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.